Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's going on, Ravens flock? This is Kyrie Thompson back with another episode of Believe in Ravens. And you can see on the other side of me, we got a special guest. One of our brethren over on the Bengals side of things, Solomon Wilcots. We we are here to talk about week two. We got a rivalry game. What is going on, man? Kari, hey, first of all, great to be on with you. I'm a longtime Ravens fan. Uh, you know, look, when I came into this league, Ozzie Newsom was a great legendary player. And uh, then he goes into the front office and works for the Cleveland Browns. And then when they moved to Baltimore, I said, okay, I like them. Yeah. <laughs> I said, as long as they're in Baltimore, I like them. And then my good friend Rod Woodson, obviously, who I played uh, my last few years in Pittsburgh, yeah. he came over, Marvin Lewis, who had been our linebacker coach in Pittsburgh. So it was almost like this this collection. And, you know, Brian Billick, who had been the coach then, he recruited me when I was coming out of college. So I had all these guys in the building that I absolutely love. Steve Bashotti buys the team, and he treats me great. He takes me out on his yacht. How can you not be a Ravens fan with the way they play defense? So, you know, I, I love the Ravens whenever they're not playing the Bengals. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and you know what? I mean, I, I actually watched a little bit of the episode you just did with Rod Woodson. And again, I mean, just just growing up as as a you know kind of a budding football fan and going back and watching, you know, old, older old players just rocking out like Rod Woodson. That was that's a hell of a player, man. My goodness, best. he's the best, man. He's the, I don't think history um, says enough about. He literally is one of the greatest defensive backs to ever live. Yeah, if there was a Mount Rushmore for defensive backs, Rod Woodson's on it. Deion Sanders is on it. And then you can then you can put I think a Mel Blunt's got to be on it, but that's a show one day, Kyrie. That's a show we got to. You, know, you know what? Hey, me. hey, you, you let me know when you want to do that show because I will do that show with you. By the way, you're mentioning a couple of guys, Rob Woods and Deion Sanders, guys who put on that Ravens uniform. That's right. And and, that's and right. our guy, um, you know, Danny Wilcox, who can't be here with us today. But I mean, we've had many a talk about just some some really great players that have put on the uniform and, and not just, you know, the, the Ray Lewis. I mean, Ed Reed is probably my favorite football player of all time. Um, yeah. I, I mean, he just just so just so special in the skills. But I'm actually from the Chicagoland area. So I grew up I'm, I'm a Bears fan still. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, still go back there. I call it home. Devin Hester, you know, played some time with the Ravens as well. And that that's like another one of my like top five players of all time. So it's like it seems like so many players that I love have ended up in Baltimore. And yeah. I mean, that that was like it's a fun thing, man, because I think probably about since 20 to 2008, I've been like the Ravens have been like my second team now always follow. Hey, Raven, it, Baltimore is a great city, by the way. It really is. And I've always loved coming there to do the games. And I knew they were building something special early. Obviously, I would go to Ozzy's office and talk with him. And I just really appreciate it. He's not only a great football mind and a great player, but he's a great person. Yeah. He first class all the way. And so just understanding how they were constructing the team in those early days, I knew he was laying a foundation for a legacy yeah. that would help build a culture, right? That the people in Baltimore could appreciate their style of play. And what is that? Tough, hard-nosed football 
with a great defense that you not only hate, but you fear, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so when they went out and got a Roquan Smith last year, I said, ah, they got their guy. They got, they got their guy, you know, just one more guy that fits sort of what the Baltimore Ravens really stand for. And, and you can tell they have a, they have a prototype for how they want to play and who they want to be. And boy, do they stick to it. And you know, it's funny again, Chicago, former Chicago bear Roquan Smith comes to the Ravens and really just right. that defense does an absolute 180 from the moment they get there. They were having some issues earlier in the year and they just yeah. instantly become one of the best defenses in football. And in, in that first in that first week, you saw a little bit of that. I mean, the Texans are still a rebuilding team. They're working through some things, obviously, with a rookie quarterback. They had a lot of injuries on the offensive line. But right off the bat, what do you see? You see Patrick Queen coming on blitzes and getting sacked. You see Roquan Smith coming in getting sacked. I mean, they are dangerous linebackers who can do a lot of different things. I want to talk a little bit about, obviously, the Ravens. But I want to ask you, first of all, about the Bengals, because I feel like what happened with the Ravens was more or less according to script. Yeah, the Texans kind of hung around, but they won. The Ravens won pretty handily. I got to know what in the world happened to the Bengals in week one, man. I don't think any of us saw that coming. No, it was like an out of body experience, right? And I think what I think a lot of people just have to understand the way that football really works. So we've entered in this new age of, uh, don't practice them too hard. Don't dare put them in pass because somebody might get hurt, God forbid, right? With football, of course somebody might get hurt. <laughs> you might get hurt walking across the street, right? Mm-hmm. You might, might get hurt if you go to a nightclub at night in the wrong part of town. But you go. You go. <laughs> yeah, I, <know. laughs> I mean, I don't go, not anymore. Yeah. But you get what you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Life comes with their own, every decision comes with its own inherent danger. Being an NFL pro ball player, you can get hurt. Oh, by the way, this just out. I don't know why these coaches don't want to practice, don't want to really allow players to play in the preseason because for the passing game, say you're a passing team, and that's what the Bengals are, primarily shotgun about 670% of the time, Three wide receivers, 11 personnel. They make it clear we're putting the ball in the air. There, It requires so much precision and timing. The mechanisms of the passing game have to operate at this synchronization that one little thing throws off that timing, you don't, got to, you don't have a play. Mm-hmm. Yep. Unless you've got some flukish kind of play, and those things happen from time to time. Not, not sustainable, right? But – that's what you saw happen. You saw a team that was not ready to play. You saw a quarterback that hadn't practiced really, certainly hadn't played since the AFC Championship game last year. Yeah. And then we and then we wonder, and look, I love Allen Iverson. He said, we're talking about practice, man, right? <laughs> but but Allen Iverson played in the NBA. Allen Iverson was a really great football player in high school. He was a mm-hmm. great uh, option quarterback. Mm-hmm. He would he would never have said that if if he were playing in this league, he was like, I need to prep. Tom Brady practices and plays in the preseason. Patrick Mahomes plays and practices in the preseason. You got to drag him off the field in the preseason. So I just want to know where did these coaches get these ideas that my guy can come in, complete 70%. Not, hey, uh, Tua and, and Herbert, they, they played and practiced in the preseason. 
that's why you saw them operating at a very high level. So, look, I, I don't know if that'll click for the Bengals week two or week three, but it better click at some point in time here real soon. It's interesting you bring those points up because a lot of offenses and a lot of quarterbacks really didn't play very well in week one. And let's go ahead and put Lamar Jackson on that list. I mean, no touchdowns and interception, um, you know, just over 170 yards. I mean, and, and they're also working on a new offense system themselves uh, with, you know, new offensive coordinator and Todd Munkin. So they're, they're going through some things that they're feeling out. And Lamar Jackson obviously didn't play in the preseason either. And, and it's interesting you bring that up because you've got that part and you've got the fact that now it's three preseason games instead of four, where usually you would get your starters in there for like two two preseason games of more work, right? You build up in the second game and preseason game three was usually like dress rehearsal. You get your guys yeah. out there for a half. And then the fourth preseason game is like, okay, maybe they play some, but it's mostly about the guys who are trying to make the roster. Now that, that the formulas changed, it feels more like sometimes that week one of the regular season is almost like an extension of preseason. And I feel like you've seen that where not only are guys rusty, but it also feels like from a game plan perspective, teams are keeping it really vanilla and you're not seeing things that you would normally see later in the year. Like the Ravens didn't run Lamar Jackson at all in week one. And I understand that you don't necessarily want to do that a lot, but not doing it even once that doesn't feel like something you want to do with Lamar Jackson. So from that standpoint, when you look at the Bengals in particular, mm -hmm. you, you kind of put it on, they need to, they need to click, they need to get more reps. Was there any point where you kind of looked at what they were saying and, and it's like, mm, this feels like they're feeling things out still in terms of what they're putting on film? No, no. <laughs> they were going for it and they just had a stinker? They scored three points, <laughs> didn't, did not score a touchdown. They averaged 2.6 yards per play. I mean, you could give them the fourth down and they still wouldn't have a first down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just it was it was really bad. Uh, T. Higgins targeted eight times, zero receptions. But I think between the three of them, Higgins, Boyd, and Chase, the numbers were anemically low as a combination. So, no, this 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 belied. I think there were some undertones of <clears throat> of a lot lot more serious thing that you cannot brush off, and that, and it really it comes back to the work that gets done during training camp and preseason matters. And, you know, you can try to have, uh, you know, joint practice sessions. Right. Most you tend to get out of that is one big fight or multiple fights, right? You're not kidding. And they, look, still can't hit the quarterback, and rightfully so. I get it. But you have to question, okay, is that work really meaningful? You now have in our league today, go back to those Ravens team that we talked about. How many reps do you think they had coming into it, the regular season as opposed to what we're getting now? We have players coming into our league now that never in their life went through a two-a-day practice. <laughs> never practiced twice in a day. I did, and if I talked to Rob Woodson, we talked about this on our podcast. We did that our entire lives, mm -hmm. high school, college, and pro. Yep. And do you know how, look. Malcolm Gladwell, the most foremost data scientist in our in our and he's gonna be the Mark Twain of the early part of this century. 
He is a phenomenal author because he takes data and apply it to real life successful moments, right? The tipping point, things that render success. You know what he said? Don't take my word for it. He said, it takes 10,000 hours to reach a level of proficiency at anything. And he took Amadeus Mozart. He took all these great people and said, they didn't do their best work. He took Tiger Woods. They didn't do their great work until they hit that, that line of demarcation. And now you take a bunch of players and their whole lives, they only had one practice a day. There, it takes them a lot longer to hit that line as opposed to these group of players who practice twice a day through high school, college, and then their pro careers. Do you know how well they're playing ball, man? At an earlier phase in, in, in the, on the time continuum? So I'm just saying... It matters. Practice matters. Yeah. The work that you're putting in matters. The time on the field matters. Tackling, blocking, throwing, catching. You saw Ty you saw um, Kadarius Tony in the first night. Come on, man. Come on, man. That didn't even resemble a pro player. And he's better than that. Yeah. But he don't, you know what? He don't have his 10,000 hours, does he? <laughs> <laughs> well, well I, I mean, and I feel like that is it's incredible systemic part to it right where it's not even just about okay one week in the regular season where okay yeah maybe everybody looks a little bit rusty because they didn't have enough training camp or what have you but then you've got and this is something that i've heard that really rankles like bill belichick in particular because that's how that's a lot of how they built up that dynasty for a long time mm -hmm. practice 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 and the way that that the league has kind of changed the requirements or, or changed the limitations on what you can do, how many times you can be in pads a week during training camp has mm -hmm. perhaps taken away some of that edge. And I think that is, that's really amazing when you look back at the way things used to be versus what they are now. But also when you see guys come into the league, it, it feels like it's even more of a crapshoot, say, in the draft than it used to be. There's a lot of bust potential. In, in some of these guys where you look at, okay, they've got a lot of high upside traits, really cool, right? But first of all, you know, especially if they're coming out early, if they're coming out as a, as a junior, I mean, how much have they really played? And you look at somebody like Trey Lance, I'm going to use him as an example. Let me go ahead and do it, right? He had like one full season of college. Yeah. And they drafted a number three overall, and he's, what, 22 years old, and he still doesn't look ready. That kind of stuff matters, I think. Well, of course it does. And I would tell you right now, it's, it is a crapshoot. If the teams were very honest, they would tell you, we have no idea. Yeah. They, I mean, they're not going to say it because there's this industry built off the draft. Mm -hmm. A whole other industry. The teams don't thrive on that industry, maybe to a certain degree, because they do televise the draft and the combine. And that literally is monetizing yes. um, this cycle of how we divide up the players coming out of college, right? They're, they're going to make money off that process and sell it to the consumer as, as entertainment. But behind the scenes, I, I have proof that they don't, they have no clue. And yeah. you gave, you gave exhibit a and Trey Lance, but I can offer more evidence because yeah. it's, it's the same team that gave you the, we don't know what the hell we're doing. And Oh, by the way, we got lucky because they took Trey Lance. <laughs> Right. And they gave up three picks to take him in the in the first round with the third overall pick in 2021. 
I know where you're next going. Next year, with the last pick in the draft, they take Brock Purdy. They thought one guy would be great. They didn't know the other guy would be great. But they found, but when they saw it side by side, they said, hey, this guy's better. And to their credit, at least they didn't double down on dumb, right? <laughs> they, 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 they self-corrected, and now they moved on. And guess what? They're saying all the right things for Trey. But at the end of the day, they believe they made the right decision. Brock Purdy won big week one in Pittsburgh. But it goes to show you what a crapshoot it really is when it comes to that position. And I would go back to week one. I think there are a lot of teams that leaned into other elements on how to win. Mm. They didn't just say, quarterback, go win it for us. I thought Dallas did that. They they didn't have to protect Dak. But when you can block a kick and return it for a touchdown and get a bunch of turnovers and return those for touchdowns, you just say, hey, Dak, look, hand the ball to Tony Pollard, man. Let's get out of here with a win. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And there were some other games I could point to where the quarterback, that's what Cleveland did. They leaned on Nick Chubb when the weather got ugly for Joe Burrow and Deshaun Watson. They say, hey, Deshaun, you can still run it, can't you? Let's do that, and let's hand it to Nick Chubb and let the offensive line win it for us. And that's exactly what happened. It had nothing to do with how well the quarterback played. So I think we have to begin to watch the game with greater nuance and understand that sometimes these teams, they because they drafted a guy high, they tend to give him more opportunities. And, uh, and then they try to sneak in a win or two until they get that guy ready. But it's not because he's better than everyone else. It's because he's given more and more opportunities to succeed, right? And then, therefore, that self-fulfilling prophecy tends to gain positive momentum. It's really interesting you talking about the quarterbacks because I feel like we, we have this tendency sometimes in this new age to think that the only way you can win a Super Bowl is if you have an elite quarterback. That, that, that's it. That's the only way it could possibly work. You have to have Patrick Mahomes. You have to have Tom Brady. You have to have Joe Burrow to even be in the conversation. And the reality is like, okay, maybe that's the, the most sustainable way to do it, to constantly be in the mix and win the games you need to in the regular season. But in reality, that's not the only way to win in the NFL. You know, and I and I feel like sometimes we forget that, right? Well, Kyrie, you, know what, you know what they're going to tell you? If I bring up Trent Dilfer and if I bring up Kurt Warner, who was not drafted high, they're going to say, oh, well, that was that back then. Okay. Well, what if I say, well, what about Tom Brady? He wasn't highly drafted. Well, that was still back then. He became great. Well, what if it's Brock Purdy this year? What are we going to – because I'm going to tell you right now, Brock Purdy can win a Super Bowl. With that, with, with Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel and George Kittle and Nick Bosa, Javon Hargrave, look, they got offense, they got defense. So if they win it, now what, yeah. what are you going to say then? You can't say it was back then. What we're going to say is that there's a steady trend of teams because it takes a team to win Super Bowl. One guy doesn't win a Super Bowl. I don't care how where he was drafted. Tom Brady, sixth round. Brock Purdy, seventh round. Okay? Now, he hadn't won a Super Bowl yet, but he did take him to the NFC Championship game. Yeah. Right? And I mean, and, and like, and, and he, he, made, he got him to the playoffs and then he got hurt. But I mean, like, you look at the same team, right? Jimmy Garoppolo. Right. Jimmy Garoppolo had them in a Super Bowl and you and none of us think Jimmy Garoppolo is the best quarterback in football, but they had they had the team. And and I think what the other thing you're talking about is the margins for error in the NFL. Right. Where if if everything is more or less equal, the team 
that executes properly and doesn't make mistakes is, is often going to be the one that has that little bit of an edge. And with that in mind, when you look at just how rough that performance was for the Bengals last week, aside from just getting things figured out with the passing game, where are those margins for error? Where, where are those margins they really need to correct to win against the Ravens? You know, in, in weeks past, we I would give you some things that are not as obvious, but they were so bad last week <laughs> that I would say, how about can we just throw the ball to the open guy? And if the open guy is open, can you just catch it? And can we stop just trying to throw jump balls to T. Higgins, right? And, oh, by the way, can we protect Joe Burrow? And that's been an ongoing theme, right? Yeah. Can we just protect him? He got hit on the first play, the second play, the third play, fourth play. <laughs> and then, then there was this monsoon that kind of blew in. He tried to wear a glove, couldn't couldn't throw the ball because it was wet. He could not, yeah. literally could not throw the ball. And the Bengals are about 70% shotgun, even when they run it. So they line up in about shotgun 70% of the time, which tells you they're not a power running team. They're kind of like the Chargers with Austin Eckler. Yeah. Uh, we're going to run it just to keep you honest, but that's not what, we, you know, we don't exactly. expect to blow you off the ball with our run game. And I think with a back like Joe Mixon, they can do better if they designed a better, more power run game. So there's a there's some several things you have to fix. Hey, in light of that, the defense actually played pretty good. Kept them in it. I think they're going to have to play. Well. To me, Zay Flowers is a great concern. Mm -hmm. Odell Beckham Jr. These guys have speed and elusiveness that can test any secondary. Zay Flowers reminds me of a of a Tyreek Hill. Okay. And uh, I compare him to that. And that's big time, right? But he has a motor and an energy and a, some juice about him <laughs> that uh, that we haven't seen in this offense unless it was Lamar Jackson. So I'm, I'm interested to see that from him. We all know Odell Beckham Jr., when he came into this league, there was every skill that you want for a receiver to have. Knowledge of how to read coverage, route running skills, contested ball catching skills, um, can't jam him at the line of scrimmage, and he can flat out track the ball and beat you deep, or he can take a five-yard catch and take it 50 to the house. He had all those skills. He's had some knee injury or whatever, but he still, I'm telling you right now, has a football brain and still has the talent to be a difference maker. He was ready to be the Super Bowl MVP. He was dealing oh, yeah. against, the, against this Bengals team. Mm -hmm. And I think he wants some more of that. He kind of remembers it. <laughs> That'll be interesting, right? That that you know his one of his first games back healthy will be against that team that he was balling on. It'll He's be it'll balling. be but in a in a very different context, right? So obviously Super Bowl biggest stage you could be on in the sport, but now you're jumping into a rivalry game, two AFC North teams that are gonna try to beat each other up. But you brought up Zay Flowers. I am unapologetically, I have been just all on the Zay Flowers train. I actually went to his pro day. I talked to him and what you were talking about, the juice, the motor. Like I was just talking to him like, okay, like what, what's your mentality? Like the way that he was running routes during his pro day, you would have thought there was a whole defense out there. Cause he, cause he, there, there was, there was no half-assing about it. This dude was out there sprinting. Like he saw people and he's just like, I'm attacking everybody. Even if it's on air, that's the kind of way that he plays. There is, there is no stop 
There, there is, there is all gas, no brakes. But he has that that little bit of ability to you know modulate the route. So it's not just all one speed routes, which is something that I think that he 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 was talked about in his scouting process that uh, maybe he needs to throttle down sometimes. I wouldn't be surprised. I think Odell's kind of gotten a little bit in his corner. Like, hey, hey, young kid, let, let me show you how to really get open. A little uh, bit. Sell it. Yeah. And, and you could and you could see it in week one. They they can't handle this guy, you know? And so I, I think that's somebody the Bengals should be worried about as well. How do you think they would handle that? Well, Bengals got really good corners. I mean, are they perfect? No. I mean, they, you know, uh, Chitterbay Awuzie in 2021 was the highest graded cornerback in the NFL, according to PFF. Yeah. And he's multiple. He can play zone. He can play man coming off an ACL injury. So we'll have to see how close he is to being back fully. Um, Cam Taylor Britt is a rookie that came out of Nebraska, very physical um, and really a great player. Um, This guy's a former quarterback when he was in high school. And then he moved over to the defense side of the ball in college and just he's physical and he's very heady and very smart and didn't flinch. Missed all the training camp as a rookie. Um, he had a growing injury. By the time he was healthy, he was a full-time starter when Awuzier went down. DJ Turner, the second-round pick out of Michigan, this dude can fly now. Oh, yeah. He can oh, fly. Yeah. Fastest player at the Combine this past year. Faster uh, than Zay Flowers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's what he ran like a four two six or something four, like that. Two, six, that's sliding. Right. He was sliding. Right. And you know what? So, that's one thing. That's a guilty pleasure of mine. Like I know that just running straight line in a forty isn't isn't the most indicative of how good a player you're gonna be. But I'm a former track guy too. So when I, sometimes I just like watching people run. Okay, because you know what that four two really means in real speed. That's that's a guy who almost has wings, right? Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, maybe out there running, and everybody else looks like that. That's the thing I love. Every they're they're out there going, and everyone else looks like they're walking next to them. That's Tyreek Hill. Oh that's my Tyreke. god, that's Tyreek. Not, I mean, that's that's world class. See, that's a dude that's running in the 19s in the 200. Yeah. How are you so, gonna put? How are you gonna put a guy like that on a football field? And hey, just, you know, oh yeah, go cover that. CJ Turner, I watch him in training camp. He's a dog now. Mm-hmm. He he practices every day going up against, let me take T. Higgins. Let me take Jamar Chase. And he can stay with him now. Yeah. See, when you're that fast, you have the confidence that you can stand in front of a man and not have to worry about him blowing by you and beating you deep. <laughs> See, I mean, that, that's the confidence that that's kind of – that's why Tyreek is so confident. That's why Zay Flowers is that – he's got swagger day one. When you're that fast – Everybody else is mere mortals, man. You're looking for a few superheroes just to hang out with because you ain't finding a whole lot of them, right? No. You're looking around, can't find none. Then when you find one, you're like, okay, don't come here because everybody else is just mere mortals, man. That's a different kind of level of speed. Yeah, and and I think ultimately that's why guys get – that sometimes can get overdrafted, you know, say like, like a guy like, like a Taekwon Thornton, whom I really like with the new England Patriots, everybody was asking, okay, what, why did he go before these guys? Right. Why did he go before Alec Pierce or Sky Moore? What have you? I'll tell you why, because he ran a four, two, eight. 
And he probably ran even faster than that. And I saw that guy at training camp and saw him just breezing by people easy as can be. Because ultimately, look, here's the thing. You get the ball in your hands. All it takes is one block. And then if it's you one-on-one with the safety, that's it. You can start lining up for the extra point. We're good. In our league, we have some great coaches. And they can take a receiver or a defensive back. And they can teach a technique. The one thing they can't teach is speed. Nope. They don't, they can't, they, hey, come over here, let me teach you how to run fast. Ah, I can't do that. You either got to have that or you don't. So that's why when you have that kind of speed, they're going to draft you high because they feel like the areas of deficiency, they can fill that in. We could teach you that. But you have the things we can't teach. And that's uh, that's what coaches love working with. It's like, hey, the, the, less, we, the less we have to teach you, you know what I mean? That's right. I, I want to real quick to kind of wrap things up. I mean, probably the, the two biggest names in this game are the quarterbacks um, in, in, in this upcoming game is Lamar Jackson and Joe Burrow, right? Lamar Jackson for, for the briefest of moments was the highest played, was the highest paid player in NFL history. And then I don't know, two weeks later, a bunch of other guys got paid and then Joe Burrow just gets paid before the season starts. So you got two guys that they are the face of the franchise. That's it. Now it's interesting because they play entirely different styles. Well, somewhat, somewhat where, Joe Burrow is a little bit more your classic. I'll just sit in the pocket. I'll chill. But I can move around if I want to. I can move around a little bit if I want to and beat you that way. Lamar Jackson is the guy that he's developed as a passer over the years. But everybody thinks about his legs, how dynamic he is as a player. I also like to point out, interesting stat, he's 6-1 and one against the Bengals in his career. And he's 2-0 and oh down in Cincinnati on the road. And so – the last couple of times the Bengals have played the Ravens and won, they were playing backups. So when you look at at those two guys, obviously they are not the only people playing. We've established that. But when you look at what they both bring to the table, what's going to be more valuable in this game? The most, most valuable is, A, can the Bengals protect Joe Burrow? And can Lamar hit his guys when they're open from the pocket? I mean, and that's an underrated thing because in training camp and sometimes you're kind of underthrowing guys, not quite hitting them on uh, in stride. Hey, I wasn't making it up. <laughs> you know, I mean, those are the two things for those two players. Um, Joe Burrow just needs the protection against guys like Patrick Queen and Roquan Smith, right? And Ojabo. I mean, if you protect him, he'll get you. If you don't protect him, then it's you know then those now those margins shrink <clears throat> for for uh, Lamar. He moves so well, and they have the RPO, the play action. He can slow down a pass rush just with his suddenness, because you don't want to be overzealous in rushing him. That you could argue he'll have time, but can he hit him? Yeah, and can he hit him consistently? Right, and uh, and so. Look, it is what it is. That's that's the fact of it. Um, he's still growing in that area. And uh, Joe is one of those guys, Joe Burrow is one of those guys that's taken a lot of sacks in his career because he's played behind some bad offensive lines. So what it means to be going to take it, you go to the first overall pick, you're going to a bad team. You go to that 
final pick in the first round where Lamar went, he go to a really good team. Uh -huh. <laughs> and and Lamar's had some good players around him. You can argue that and had the best receivers, but he went to a franchise that that had some infrastructure for success. Yes. And a, and a coach that um that really bought into the way that Lamar plays and so you see an MVP early in his career. You see multiple trips to the playoffs and it allowed him to earn the bag that he got financially. So we got three quarterbacks in this AFC North that's getting upwards of 200 mil. So it's a lot of money. Yes, indeed. And you know what? The payoff for both of these guys is that they, you know, that's the job is to take their teams to the Super Bowl. They're paying them a lot of money to win, to win those dudes a Super Bowl. And you know what? We are a long way from the playoffs and from the Super Bowl, but I think that this is going to be, I mean, it's a, definitely a big game for the Bengals to avoid going 0-2, but I think it's also a big game for the Ravens to show that they're continually growing with their new offense. And, and again, to kind of keep up that recent success against the Bengals with Lamar Jackson, because again, we've seen the recent stuff, but he's going to reinsert himself into this rivalry. We will see how it goes. Last question. How do you see this game unfolding? Bengals or Ravens? Yeah, I think the Bengals will win. They're the home team. These two teams usually hold serve at home. Lamar now went to school nearby here. We're big, we're big Lamar fans here in Cincinnati because he went to Louisville. It's only about an hour's drive from my home here in Cincinnati. Hour, 10 minutes exactly to Louisville. And the people come out to see Lamar. He's must-see TV. He always has been, always will be. So we're big fans of his. We really are. And, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be fun because there's a contrast in styles when it comes to Joe Burrow and, uh, and Lamar. I do remember 2021, Joe Burrow at M&T Bank Stadium. Lamar did play in that game. Man, and Joe Burrow just carved him up. <laughs> and then late – then later in the year, whether Lamar was playing or not, it wouldn't have made a difference because he don't play DB. Because Wink Martindale wouldn't stop trying to blitz him. Like, dude, what are you doing? You can't blitz this guy. And Joe threw for 500 yards that yeah. year. <laughs> so that's why these records, I look at, oh, he's this, when he played, look, it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah. I mean, there are two great quarterbacks. I, I think it comes down to the last guy with the ball, you know. That's what it comes down to. Love it. A good old-fashioned shootout. That'll make that'll make for some good division rival material right there. That's Solomon right. Solomon Wilcots, thank you so much for joining me. I've been a big fan for a long time following your work. It is absolutely wonderful to get to talk ball with you, man. And I hope we get to do it again later. Kyrie, all the best to you except for on Sunday. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.